Turn to Philippians, if you would. Think like Jesus. We're going to look at a lot of texts tonight, and this is more of a word study. But I want to impress on you, and, and, and tonight what you did when I asked you, what did you come to your mind when you think, you were saying the things that Jesus thinks about. And that was good because most of them were he thinks about serving, he thinks about witnessing, and all those are very true and great. I'm going to turn it a little bit different than that. Not what he thinks about, but how he thinks, the way that he thinks. Um, and it obviously is about topics and issues, of course, like you mentioned. But more particularly, how he thinks, when he thinks through things and goes about thinking about certain things. Um, so let me start with this. How you think matters. I don't think, <laughs> think anybody would debate that. Um, so let me give you an example. If you want to really know the technical term, epistemology is a word that means the theory of knowing things. How do we know things and the importance of that? Let me give you some examples about how important it is about what you think about things, how you think about things. Let me give you the evolution versus creation. If you are an evolutionist or a creationist, you will think completely polar extreme from one another. Um, So if you're an evolutionist, um, you're not going to believe that you have any ultimate accountability to anyone because you don't believe there is a God because we are certainly here by random chance and uh, there is no higher power, quote-unquote. There is no authority. There is certainly no Bible God, uh, biblical God. So you're accountable. So you're not worried about judgment when you die. In fact, if you're an evolutionist, you think that this is all there is to begin with, so you better go for the gusto and so forth and so on. Again, if you're a crea- creationist and believe in God, the God of the Bible, you're going to think completely different about accountability. In fact, everything. And you could go on. If you're an evolutionist and you think that way and how you think about life, you have no purpose and meaning. You weren't here uh, by, uh, you're only here by random accident. You are just a compilation of, um, you know, chemicals and all kinds of other things and wires, quote-unquote, speak in your mind and all the things that put together. But you're really no different than an animal. You're just a higher-achieving evolutionary animal that has reached the survival of the fittest. You could go on. Therefore, I don't understand. If you don't believe in God or you're an evolutionist, I don't understand how you can believe in any morality because there is no right or wrong because we're here by accident. And what you think about something is no better than what I think about something And so there would be no morality. If you're an evolutionist um, and you were just animals, survival of the fittest, then it wouldn't matter about the skin color or racial issues. They wouldn't have anything to do with anything. Why? Because those things don't matter. It's surviving and being dominant on the top. And that's what their beliefs really are all about. Um, You wouldn't believe in abortion. I mean, you would believe in abortion and so forth and so on. So that's, that's just one area about how important what you think about is. Another one would be if you believe in humanistic psychology or biblical wisdom. If you believe in humanistic psychology, which is all over our therapeutic deistic culture, you're going to know this. You're going to think that you're the center of everything. Um, You're going to believe that um, the world and everyone and everything in it should revolve around you um, and that you are the end-all, be-all. So that versus biblical wisdom, 
which says God is the center of everything and there is a certain way to live your life and there are standards and rules and laws and ways that, and you are not the center of everything. Uh, he is. Um, when does life begin? Where does life get its value? If you don't believe that people created by God in an image of God, then you won't believe that babies matter. They're just fetuses and can be discarded like anything else, virtually like you would do the trash. And we see that basically in our culture today. And so you're also going to believe euthanasia because if you get too old and you don't have any value to contribute to culture and society, then your life should be over and they would be glad to let you be uh, taken out in life. Suicide won't be an issue because people can choose that. It's not really a tragedy. And on and on it goes. What we do understand very clearly from Scripture is that it does matter how you think. And particularly it matters if you are a Christian. Um, One of the things that we don't often talk about, and I want to emphasize it strongly tonight, is when you become a Christian, it changes your mind. It changes your mind about a lot of things. Let me just run by some scriptures. They're not our scriptures tonight because they're not even in Philippians, but you know them. But let me tell you what's true about when you become a Christian. Not only what's true, you don't just change destinies um, and and I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm going to heaven as great as all that is. But you change your mind. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Romans 12, 2. But be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. What does it say? The renewing of your mind. So renewing is over and over again, making something new. When you get saved, you not only get a new birth, you not only get a new heaven, you get a new life, you get new minds, which means that our minds have been transformed. Not just our bodies, not just our eternity, our minds have been changed. And you can see it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Our outward man perishes, but our inner self is what? Renewed. How is it renewed? Day by day. So part of being a Christian is having a new mind. And every single day, we might be dying on the outside, but we are coming more alive, so to speak, on the inside. Because every day through the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are becoming more like Jesus in how we think. Then you have the next one, which would be Ephesians 4.23. And that is the passage on how to change things in your life. And it says, put off the old man. And then it says, put on the new self. And the bridge to being able to do that is verse 23 of chapter 4. And it says, by the renewing of your mind. The way that you change habits and bad habits and practices and things that are wrong or things that should be better in your life is not only do you get holiness or a different life by subtraction, you get it by addition. So it's not enough just to get rid of the bad. You have to get rid- put on the new or the better, the Christ-likeness. And the way that you do that is by the way that you think, the renewing of your mind. And lastly, if you want the fourth one that renews the word renewal is Colossians 3 and verse 10. And it says, we're to be renewed in the knowledge of him. So we need to know about Jesus, know like Jesus. And I would go a step further tonight, and it's my thesis basically. It's not only to know about him, but to know how he thinks. And I would tell you, and I hope to prove you just a little tonight to push you over the edge I would tell you that every one of us in this room, including me, 
think more secular than you'd ever believe. And that we don't have the mind of Christ and we don't think the way that he thinks on a lot of issues. And I hope tonight just to bring you to the place where you might want to search more to find out the reality of that. So to be a Christian tonight is to have a new mind. And let me tell you this, a Christ-like mind. And by that I mean this, in a patterned way. In a patterned way. There are ways that Jesus thinks. There are concepts that he thinks through about life that are completely countercultural in his day, and they are just as much countercultural in our day. So let me start off by asking you, and you can answer right there. I'm not going to pass a microphone around, but you can just speak a little louder perhaps. In your own personal experience, when you became a Christian, what are some of the ways that you think differently now that you are saved than you did before you were saved? What are some of the ways that you think differently? Just raise your hand and you, you make one sentence out if you want. Tim, did you have your hand up or just see you you're waving at me? Thank you, appreciate it. Someone else, so anyone else I should say. What are some of the ways that you think differently about maybe certain uh, issues or whatever? Carrie. Okay, atheist. So, so being saved after that, I look at marriage totally differently. Okay, now that you become a believer from an atheist, you look at marriage completely different. I bet you do. <laughs> Dennis. Helping others. Helping others. Helping others. You think differently about that. What else? What is something that changed in the way that you think once you became a Christian? Okay, what it means to be a Christian. Now you kind of know what it means. Maybe you had a false idea of it before. Good. Someone else. What else? What's changing your thinking? Yes. Things that are right and wrong. They're, they're, you know, think differently. Yeah, things that are right and wrong. Yeah, that could be a long discussion, right? We could talk about a lot of those. Yes, Mendy. For me, it was um, learning how to completely forgive people. Okay. Relational ways, things about how you deal with people, respond to people, in particular, forgiving people. Yes, Conrad. Marriage, yep. Yep, relationships, marriage. Sue. Okay, you're not just expecting it or thinking you deserve it, you're thankful for it. Yeah, very, that's a hard one, that's a good one. Yep. Environment. Okay, you think different about the environment. Okay, it's not about you, right? It's about him. That's a big, that's a colossal switch. Yes? I felt more sensitive to hear from God in conviction if I had some sin in my life at that time where I was able to okay. hear, feel the um, conviction more. Good, so <laughs> your view of sin and being convicted by it is, is different. Yes, Fander? Uh, this thing God versus uh, personal God. Say that again to me. Are these things God versus a personal God? Oh, yes. Okay. God's a personal God, not just a distant deity. Good, good. Conrad. Taking care of yourself, your temple. Okay, the way you view your body and yourself. Jody? Having more empathy for people, more understanding. Okay, you're more patient, understanding with people's issues. Are we all right? Have we arrived in all those areas yet? No, we haven't. John? The Bible moved from a historical book to a living document. 
Okay. You think different about the Bible. It's not just historical. It's, it's a, a living book. Excellent. Excellent. How to be like Jesus. There are a couple books that come out in the last years. One is called My Jesus Year. Did you ever read it? There's a guy who tried to be exactly like Jesus in every way for a year. He only wore robes and sandals. He had no beard and he grew and never cut his beard for an entire year. It was way down there. Um, He uh, went and observed the Sabbath. He went to Jewish festivals and found a synagogue and he went to those places. He only ate kosher food. And he tried to pray like a rabbi would pray. And he did all that for a year. And you could read it. He made a whole book out of everything that he did. Another guy named A.J. Jacobs wrote a book about the year of living biblically. And he tried to do everything that the Bible said that you should do and live exactly like that. So let me tell you up front. When we talk about being like Jesus, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying tonight, you, you know, you go home, be like Jesus. And I'm going to grow a beard. I'm going to wear some sandals. You know, I don't expect you to do any of those things, especially the ladies on the beard. I definitely don't <laughs> expect that. Um, what does it mean to be like Jesus? And more importantly and specifically, what does it mean to think like him? So if you're taking notes, here's where you start. 18 uses of verbs, 18 in Philippians, that describe the mindset of someone who is trying to follow Jesus. And be like him. Now, I'm going to give you these three words, and they won't mean anything to you. But I'll just tell you, there's three Greek words. And one of them is in verse, chapter, if you want to write these down, chapter 2, verse 3, 6, 25, chapter 3, verse 7, and 8. Okay? So uh, 2, 3, I'm going to read it for you. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or conceit, but in humility, count others. See that word count? It means to think about them, consider them. And that word is used, count, and all those, it's pretty much translated count. And that's in those verses I re- referenced to you. It's about thinking about how you treat something, whether it's true, right, or valuable, how you place value and think what it's worth, okay? That's what that way of thinking is about. The second verb is Legizomai, it's a verb only used twice in chapter 3 and verse 13 and chapter 4 and verse 8, the most famous, where it says, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Remember that verse in chapter 4 and verse 8? And so what does it mean to think on these things? Okay, and then the last one is the one we're going to spend more time on, and that's phreneo, and it means to think or to spend some time considering and to think through in detail. And that's used in chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 3, verse 15, twice, chapter 3, verse 19, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 10, 4, verse 10, twice, or so a total of 10 Nine out of the ten are used positively. One is negative, and that's good because it gives us a foil about what we should be thinking about, opposite of it. And the majority of these ones, hear me, I think a few people, uh, Sue or um, Dennis, said 
These are mostly ways of thinking that Jesus did relationally. How did he think about having relationships with people and how we should have relationships about people? And it is the verb in chapter 2, verse 5, which says, have this mind which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like he thought. Now that verb is the one we're going to focus on, but it's also the same verb used, if you look at chapter 2, in verses 2 and 3, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing through selfishness or amb- let others th- count others more significant than yourselves. So all those, two of those verbs are right, those three verses. To have mind, the same mind, the same way of thinking. And he says, and this is what you do. You count it. You have value. You count it worthy of things. And so he wants us to know that we can have and think the way he thinks. Now what is, let me just say it in a nutshell, and then we're going to move on. What is the way Jesus thinks primarily? If there's one sentence or one thing I could tell you about the way Jesus thinks that you're going to have to really get under your belt and it's going to be incredibly difficult, and I call it cruciform thinking because Philippians 2, 5 through 11 are about Jesus and his death. Um, If you come back Sunday night, I'm also speaking on Philippians because it's my turn in the series, and I'm going to tell you in detail what this thinking looks like when you live it out every day through the examples of chapter 2 at the end. And so we're going to even enlarge a little bit more on it. But let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus. Notice in the text, we're going to get a, now watch the Bible, so underline or do whatever you do. Chapter 2, verse 5 mentions Jesus' name, but it also mentions his name in verses 10 and 11. All right? It tells you, let this mind be in you, which was in Jesus. Jesus is his human name, but it also says Christ, which is meaning king or Messiah. All right? So here's who he is. Jesus is a man who became a slave, but he's a God-man who became a slave. He was king. Now watch, this is how he thinks. Listen, this is how God thinks. Ready? I'm up here in the form of God, not something to be grasped. In other words, he was God equal with God the Father God. He is in heaven. Here's how God thinks. God says, I'm here, but Jesus says, I'll come down here when he says he was born, right? He became. So he went from this to this at Bethlehem at Christmas. And if that wasn't enough, he went from Bethlehem to Calvary on Easter. Can I tell you this? That is the number one way that God, Jesus, thinks. Okay? Now, I'm going to show you something. I don't know if you've read Philippians and looked at it this way before, but I want to exemplify, I want to give you the example of Jesus doing this and Paul doing the opposite. And we're going to put them side by side tonight. It's my only goal. And that is to let you see what the two look like and to figure out which one of the ways do you think and live. There are seven steps in chapter 2 of Philippians, verses 6 through 8. Let's walk through them. Seven steps to Jesus going down. Okay? And they are in verses 6 through 8. He, and there are 
all marked off by seven verbs, okay? Verse number six, who though he was in the form of God, did not, here's our other thinking verb, ready? He did not count it. He didn't think. Here's how God thinks. He didn't think this. I'm God. I should never have to become a man. That is not how he, he never thinks humility and getting low is a problem. Okay? God did not think, here's the first step, he was a, did not think equality with God was something that he had to hold on to. In other words, all of its privileges. He didn't stop being God, but he did stop using all of the prerogatives of being God at his own independent will. That's the first verb. Number two, he emptied himself, not of his deity, but of the manifestations of it. He didn't look like God. He didn't appear as God. He didn't have all the brilliant light that shined and reflected his glory. He didn't have any of those things. In fact, Isaiah says that if you saw him, you wouldn't be attracted to him. He'd emptied himself of that. The next verb, verse 7, taking on the form, and I'm going to really push this on Sunday night, of a slave, not a servant. It's unfortunate because I know slave has a bad connotation in our day because of the racial problems in American history and otherwise, but it is the term doulos. Jesus didn't become a servant and just do servant-type things. He became a slave. So he went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. This is God. This is how he thinks. Next, being born in the likeness of men. There's the next verb. And then being found in human form, he, there it is, he humbled himself. Notice he was not humbled, although the Romans did that. He voluntarily did it. Okay, this is how God thinks. You don't have to coerce him, force him, manipulate him, put him on a guilt trip to get that low. You don't have to. He willingly does it himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even a cross death, literally. And you know what that means. All that goes with it, the humiliation, the shame, the torture, the pain, and bearing our sin, of course, above all that. So there is, this. see, this is the seven steps down. This is what Paul says. If you want to think like Jesus thinks, you have to think of a trajectory like this, that my life is trying to get down the ladder. Now, hold on. Put that against American thinking. What is American thinking about? Yeah, you're going up the ladder. And so you view God and you view people and you view circumstances in life all based on I'm going to go up. I'm going to have more. I'm going to have bigger. I'm going to have better. I'm going to be up here. People are going to know my name. I'm going to be and on and on up. That is the trajectory of the mindset of our culture. Now you have an understanding to a little degree about why we find it so difficult to be like Jesus and perhaps most of all to think like him because Jesus is constantly getting low and we are constantly wanting to be high, right? 
Every step that Jesus took, I wrote this down as a note, each step decreases his power and increases his humility. We don't like that. We don't like to take steps that decrease our power and increase our humility. And here's why. Because if you love this way, you will find yourself being more and more restricted. Your life will become more and more narrow, and you will start to feel like you are losing control. That's how God thinks. You know what? Let me give you an example, real quick application. When you love someone, your life will become more narrow and more strict. So tonight we mentioned, if I hear correctly, what do you think differently about when you got saved? And a couple people answered, your marriage. What is different? Because when you love someone, now you're restricted and your life is narrowed. You love just your wife that way. And you love just your husband that way. Right? Because when you love someone and you want to become a servant to them, you are calling on yourself to restrict yourself, to humble yourself, to have your love narrowed. You can't be maybe what you might have been before. That is what Jesus does. That's why that kind of love is so hard, especially, and I've counseled lots of people like this, when the love that you try to pour out is not reciprocated. Can I tell you this? Just like Jesus's wasn't. So you got the seven steps of Jesus in chapter 2, down, 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 down. Now watch, before Paul knew Jesus, he was doing what most of us did. He was trying to go up, 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 up. Turn over because that's recorded in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now we're going to read these verses backwards because we want it to go in an ascending order So if you would look at verse 6, and there are seven of these, all right? And these are to be seen as completely opposite of what Jesus is. God, Jesus, is going down, down, down. Paul, before he met the Lord Jesus, was going up, up, up. Look what he calls himself. Verse number, we'll start with verse number 6 at the end. He was under the law, he was righteous of the law, he was blameless. One, he was a persecutor of the church. That was his zeal. He was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Four, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was of the people of Israel. And he was circumcised on the eighth day. You know what he's saying? My whole life, from the very time I was born as a baby, my whole life is this. I'm becoming higher, higher, higher. People thinking more of me, thinking I am this, I am blameless, I am this. And that all he calls all of that self-righteousness. Now, it makes you think, doesn't it? That that was Paul before he was saved. But we all struggle with it even after we're saved, don't we? That we want to go up, up and up. Now, I want you to think this through. Every single person in this room tonight are on one or two of those two paths. You are either following the way that Jesus thinks and looking to go down, 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 or you're following what Saul at that time would have gone up, up, up. Cruciform thinking, because it has a cross in it, is not trying to get up the ladder but down the ladder. 
What would that look like? It looks like John 13. So hold your finger in Philippians and turn back to John's gospel. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a quote. Roy Hessian, who wrote on Jesus, he wrote of this of the Philippians passage that we just contrasted, the, three, the seven up and seven down. He said this, if Saul of Tarsus was the man going up, Jesus was the man going down. And when the man going up met the man going down, it broke him completely. See, that's what we're supposed to do. When we read Philippians, it's supposed to be this. See, Jesus is going down, and I find myself going up. And when I look at him and I look at me, that's what broke Paul, because Jesus was everything Paul was not. And he was going the completely opposite direction. And when he saw Jesus and then compared his life to him, it broke him. He realized, I don't think at all like he does. He couldn't believe that a crucified Jewish man who claimed to be the Messiah was truly God. (laughs) What does it think? I want you to see the thinking words in John 13. Look at the word no, or the form of no, new. Okay, we're going to look at them. There's a number of them. 13.1, now before the feast of the Passover... Notice the context. Jesus is going to go and die. His disciples are going to betray him. Everyone's going to forsake him. Now, before the feast of the Passover, circle it, when Jesus knew, this is how he thinks. This is what he knew. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that it was time for him to die. The little phrase, his hour or the hour, is traced all throughout the Gospel of John, and it just tells you that Jesus' death on the cross is getting closer. So what did he know? That it was time. Verse 3, what else did he know? Jesus knowing, here's how he thinks, the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He knew that he had authority. He knew that he had power. He knew that he was going back to God and he would get all the glory that he had before. He knew that. So with that knowing, that kind of knowledge, here's how Jesus' epistemology works. Here's how he thinks about it. I have all this glory and all this power, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on my hands and knees and wash feet. Would you be thinking about that if you had all power and authority? Because verse 4 says, He rose up from supper, laid aside his outer garments, Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash their feet. That's how God thinks. He uses position and he uses power and he uses advantages not for gain for himself, but to get lower and lower to be able to serve others. That's how he thinks. In verse 11, he says to us, readers, For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said to him, not all of you are clean. So Jesus, as we've depicted before on this stage, has power and authority, and he knows all these things. And what does he do with this knowledge? He takes the guy that's going to betray him, Judas Iscariot, and places him at the seat of honor at the Last Supper. Who does that? Jesus. That's how he thinks. He doesn't think, I'm going to show Judas. I'm going to take him and tell everybody what a traitor he really is. And I'm going to reveal him. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to... He doesn't do those. He honors him. 
That's how he thinks. Verse 17, what does he want us to think? You've watched me, Jesus says. You see me as God get low. If you know these things, verse 17, if you have this same way I think, if you would know like I know, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus says, I don't want you to, I want your thinking to turn into living. I want you to do what I do because you know what I know. And so let me show you how Paul does that. Philippians, back there again, one more time. Philippians chapter 3. Remember all those things about Paul going up the ladder, all seven of those? When he became a Christian, his mind was completely changed. How did he view those things? Let's look at it last thing. Chapter 3, verse 7. It writes, and these are thinking verbs, but he emptied himself. I'm sorry, chapter 3. I'm on the wrong chapter. Chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, same word used in chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Profit. Okay? This is what really is valuable. Verse 7. For whatever gain I had, here's our knowing verb, I counted, I considered it not valuable anymore. In fact, I considered it no longer a gain. I considered it a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he's going to switch tenses of verbs. He's going to tell you when it happened to him, he changed. Past tense. I counted Past tense. Now he's going to tell you 30 years later from the Damascus Road, what is he still doing? Trying to be like Jesus, think like him. Now he says, and I count, I'm still doing it. I count everything as loss. How? Why do you think that way? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing, there it is again, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. There it is again, a third time. And count them as rubbish. And I hate to tell you, it means excrement. It's like, you know what it means. He says, I used to have this ledger where all of this stuff was my life. Up the ladder. He goes, now I think all of that is absolute garbage. And now I think, yeah, I count, I want this to be my life. And he tells you about knowing Jesus and the fellowship of his sufferings, listen, and being made, watch, this is not what we think, conformable to his life, no, to his death. Made like him. So how do you think? You think like God when you do this. When my goal in life is to get low all the time, little and low and humble, and I want to stay low enough that I every day experience little many deaths and little many resurrections. So I don't grasp after my rights. I don't have to have things turn out. I don't have to think people think well of me. I can be honest and do the truth. And people, even the closest ones to me, don't have to like it, don't have to agree with it. Not that it doesn't bother me as I'm robotic or something. No, but see, I'm on a trajectory this way. And I know what is involved in that trajectory because it involves disciples not being there for you. It involves your Judas betraying you. It, is, it, result, it results in things that I never did that I have to pay for. 
You want to see how it ends? Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The last use of phreneo. I entreat, chapter 4, verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Agree to have the same phreneo, the same way of think. You know what causes, watch, you know what causes frictions in churches and in people who are Christians like Yodi and Syntyche? They didn't have a lack of faith. Did you notice that? Because their names were written in the book of life. It wasn't that they didn't have faith. You know what they lacked? Love. What kind of love? The love that would get down lower. If Yodia would have said, I'll get lower than Syntyche, you know why? Because I want to prefer her and her interest above my own. But they had to have a third person come in and mediate it. Why? Because they, here are two adult women who can't figure out how they, even they were partners in the gospel, they couldn't figure out how to make it right. They had to have help. You know why? Because they weren't thinking like Jesus thinks. They wouldn't get low enough, humble enough. They are grasping for their rights. They are going up instead of down. Is that you tonight? Everyone here, you're on this path or you're on this path. And one of the marks, the main marks of having the mind and thinking of Jesus, of God, is that I'm on the way down. I'm on the way down because at the end, like the Philippians 2 passage says, at the name of Jesus, he will be exalted one day. This is not that day, right? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, to take these truths tonight, this little word study, oh, that we apply that to our marriages, to our relationships with people who frustrate us and irritate us, people who don't meet our expectations. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to get little and help us to get low. Help us to remember that truly we are only your slaves. That's all we are, and we are glad to be it. It is our joy. It is our true freedom for you to be our master. And Father, only when we can see life through that lens, only when we can have that kind of thinking can we let go of the consequences and let go of people-pleasing and let go of having to everyone like us and accept us. Father, because ultimately our greatest goal is not to be liked, but to be like Jesus. Help us to that end as we have your mind and seek it after you more and more each day. In Christ's name, amen.